Hey, True Believers. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 41 of the show, where we are wrapping our coverage of the penultimate month of 1963. Yes, this is November. Uh, All the last comics that came out that month, which are going to start with the Fantastic Four 23. Remind me what penultimate means again? (laughs) (laughs) Never miss a chance to use the word penultimate. Penultimate means next to the last. Oh, okay. Well, that's not nearly as special as that sounded. Okay. Uh, You know what is even better is anti-penultimate, which is the one before (laughs) the next to the last. So second from the end. Why was that ever even needed, that word? So it's like, God, I really wish I had a better way to describe that. Well, well, in Spanish, they have one more than that. They have tras ante penultimo, which is the one before the second from the end. So it's third from the end. Okay, well, so when we get to that month again, you're going to have to use that. We'll have to remember. <laughs> I was watching a video recently that was just like five words in Spanish that don't exist in English. And one of them was antier, which is the night before last night. Huh. Yeah, we don't have that. We don't have that word. We have last night. They have they have three. a single word for last night, but, you know, last night's kind of one word anyway. Um, but antier is, yeah. So anyways, but that this is not the Spanish um, language podcast. This what is, if we called it like last night Eve or something? Right. We could do that. Yeah. Make that happen. Okay. Let's get that going, everybody. <laughs> so who's who's uh, who's recapping Fantastic 423? I think I have the two tonight because you had two last time. Oh, right? I did. I think I did. Yeah. I was here for that. Yeah. Because I had to do the, the Black Knight story and you did X-Men and... Um, uh, the eel does return that, of the the epic return of the eel. Does that mean I have Spider Man again? You have him again, and I was thinking <laughs> it's actually been a couple times since you've had him. I thought I thought I'd done it. Did I you feel like I've done it? Did you do the twofer? Did you do the the Living Brain and the the Johnny Storm fight? Oh, you know what? Maybe you did those. Yeah. What did I do? I don't know. I've done a couple Spider Man, but not as many as you. Yeah, and I feel like we haven't talked about Fantastic Four in forever for some reason. So let's do that. Fantastic Four, number 23. Wow. And we actually started with number one on this one. So we've got 23 under our belt. That's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I would say it's our highest number, but we have things like Journey into Mystery 100 and stuff. So it's not our highest number. Well, it's our highest um, Count. amount covered. Yeah. Our, right. It has to be because Fantastic Four was our first book to cover, right? Yes. I imagine. Okay. Um. So unless it gets canceled, it will always be our biggest count, right? Um, no, that's not true. Spider-Man, be because true. of the bi-weekly stuff, Spider-Man does pass Fantastic Four. Okay. That's no fair. But all right. This one's called The Master Plan of <laughs> Doctor Doom, and it stars the Mole Man. No, I'm just kidding. It stars Doctor Doom. Written by Stan Lee with pencils by Jack Kirby, of course, because they will be on this book for another 600 issues. Uh, inked by George Rousseau with letters by Sam Rosen. And it starts out real fun, actually. It's got, uh, you know, they're at their their building. Who's I'm not sure what they call it at this point again. I can't remember. Is I, it the Baxter building I yet? I think we have started calling it the Baxter building, yeah. Okay. So they're at the Baxter building, and there's like a little dinosaur running around. And it's like knocking everything over. And everybody's like, ah, what's going on? Well, what's going on is Reed was running some sort of experiments on the captured Doctor Doom time machine that they got. In a previous issue, I should have looked up the number, but I don't remember. Uh, I don't, oh, it was the one where they—they they, it was the one we released today, right? 
I don't think they actually brought the time machine home for that, though, did they? I don't know. Yeah, they I went didn't... and got it. Okay, you recap. I want to keep... look that up. Okay, well, they have it at the Baxter Building now. And Johnny was supposed to be watching or something or monitoring while Reed went to the bathroom, I guess. And he didn't because there's a, now a dinosaur running around. So they try and capture it. They all use their powers to no avail. And finally, Sue, with her new awesome invisible shielding power, just easily snatches it up in a bubble. And then Mr. Uh, Fantastic knocks it out with some gas. And then he pretty much chastises them. He, like, rips them all a new one. Like, he's just annoyed that they couldn't even be trusted to do this one stupid thing of monitoring this thing while he was out. And instead, they had to act like a bunch of babies. I mean, he 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 gets in them so bad that even Sue's kind of like, wow, that's pretty harsh and so all three of them sort of decide maybe we need a new leader you're kind of a jerk and he's like yeah yeah whatever i'm gonna keep working on the machine you guys go do that whole you know vote for a new leader thing that's not going to work out for you um so then we cut to a courthouse and there's this weird like androgynous um bald looking guy who kind of just sits there every day with sunglasses and he's like waiting for the right kind of criminals to come through the court system. And uh, one by one, he bails out the ones he's interested in until he gathers up three of them. Then it turns out this weird androgynous looking guy is really just a robot. Um, he leads those criminals to a warehouse where it is revealed that actually Dr. Doom is behind the whole thing. And he purposely picked these three guys because one is very strong and did some bad, you know, strong things, protection racket or something. Another is a con man, very good with the ladies and likes to, like, you know, rip them off and stuff like that. He's a good listener. Uh -huh. And then the third one is like a, uh, I don't know, some sort of racist stereotype who works at the circus. And he's good at resisting fire. So that should be helpful. Um, Dr. Doom says, you're my new crew. And you're going to help me defeat the Fantastic Four. Meanwhile, we cut back, though, to the Fantastic Four, who are trying to, you know, come up with a new leader. They all vote for themselves, which makes them break out into a fight. Thing and Hulk. Thing and Hulk. Thing and Human Torch, specifically, of course, fighting. Until finally, Reed shows up and he's like, hey, how's the whole, like, voting for a new leader thing working out? And he, like, he kind of breaks it up and he hands them all a broom and says, now get to cleaning. And they're all like, okay. Um... Then we cut back to Dr. Doom, and he actually is putting those three guys that he recruited into, like, a machine he invented so that he can give them powers to help him defeat the Fantastic Four. So the brawny guy is now even stronger. The guy who's good at listening and finagling women out of their money is uh, can actually, like, hear everything now. So you can, like – he's like Matt Murdock, I guess. And then the guy who could resist flame can now really resist flame. You can, like, just – blow straight up a torch on him and it doesn't hurt him at all so now on to the plan we then cut to the papers announcing that this wealthy maharaja wants to give the human torch johnny an awesome new brand new um um, um tesla basically and johnny being the young kid of the team decides this is a really legit offer um doesn't tell the thing or his sister or Reed goes to meet this guy, sees the car, is all enamored with it. They get inside, and then the guy closes the doors, locks it, and says, now I'm going to take you to my true master. Um, Johnny's like, no, 
I don't forget that. I'm going to burn my way out of here. No, no, this car is lined with the bestest. Okay, well, I'm going to burn you to death uncharacteristically. Um, no, you can't because I'm resistant to fire. And then, like, the guy knocks him out with the gas. Meanwhile, the thing gets a letter from Yancey Street, seemingly from Yancey Street, and they make fun of him. So he goes on down there to, like, you know, beat them up. He encounters the brawny guy of Dr. Doom's squad. Unfortunately, though, the brawny guy is still no match for the thing, like not even close. The thing just kind of laughs him off. Um, but the brawny guy also bought, brought a uh, cosmic ray gun and he shoots it at the thing, which turns him into plain old Ben Grimm for a few seconds, which is more than the brawny guy needs to knock him out with one punch. Lastly, we cut to Reed and Sue. Reed has decided to turn to Flatman again and he attacks Sue out of nowhere and she's really annoyed by this, but he's like, hey, you never know when a criminal is going to attack you. They're not going to be convenient. And she's like, okay, fine. You're such a stupid, dumb guy, and I hate you. If only a real man would show up. And then that cues uh, his third warrior, uh, the guy who can listen really well, the con artist. And he shows up to give her flowers. Um, he tries to drug her with it, but she's too smart for that. So she turns invisible and tries to run away, but he can hear where she is. And he blasts her with a... Uh, a, a gas gun also just like the torch and captures her so doom's plan works um all they need now is to get rid of reed richards which i guess is doom's job so he creates a thing robot to shoot um what's that thing that that fantastic four flare gun into the sky yeah flare gun. Yeah, and that brings reed richards over and then between the robot and dr doom they kind of like pin him into this like um hamster box sort of thing and he can't get out so now they're all captured and the three henchmen are like, hey, we did good by you, right, Doom? And he said, yes, here's your payment. I'm sending you to another dimension until I need you again. So they just disappear, and they're not in this comic book anymore. Who needs them? Um, then the Fantastic Four escape because Doom doesn't know about um, Invisible Woman's awesome new powers, so she just uses them to break their shackles and bonds. Then there's a whole bunch of sequences, much like all the other Doom stories we've covered, where Doom has, like, you know, devices that were specifically de designed for each of them, and it doesn't really work on any of them. And then the story kind of goes bonkers, and I'm not exactly sure what happens, honestly. And it's not because I can't remember, but as I was reading it, I'm not exactly sure what's happening. But he basically captures them in this room, and the walls start deteriorating, and outside of the walls is space. And Reed's like, oh, this must be a solar wave. And everybody's like, what's a solar wave? And he's like, well, it's like this wave of radiation. And if it hits walls that have ionic dust on them, it transports you to space or something. Hmm. And all the Fantastic Four members are like, okay, science, I guess. And they're going to die. But Sue, like, pins Doctor Doom from the other room so that he will have to die, too, um, with them. And so that makes Doctor Doom panic because he's far too much of a genius to die. So he tries to stop it, stop the whole ionic dust thing by opening the warehouse room. And the thing, like, straight up just grabs him and throws him into space. So he's gone, dead. You'll never see him again. And uh, the rest of the Fantastic Four just kind of go through the door that he came from. And they're back in New York. And everyone kind of agrees that Reed leading the team is a good idea, after all, except for the thing who thinks they should have offered the job to Dr. Doom. Yeah, that ending was whack. It was like some 2001 Space Odyssey kind of stuff. It was, it was, it was bizarre. 
I did not understand it unless I'm just not reading it correctly. No, the what like, you said is basically if you're coated in ionic space dust, then uh-huh. the solar wave will transfer you to space to quote Reed Richards in some strange way. Okay. Not even so Reed the, Richards knows what's going on. So the walls of that warehouse they were in were coated with ionic dust thanks to Dr. Doom. And he knew the sonic solar wave would be passing over it. I guess he knew that ahead of time. But then somehow the walls are... It's not like the warehouse transports to space and they all suffocate and die. It's like the walls of the warehouse are slowly eroding for some reason. And there's space outside. And they're not suffocating and dying. And then... Like they just crawl through the hole, the window, and they're back in New York because there's no icon, ionic dust on the rest of the warehouse, I guess, or something like that. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what, that's exactly what I. I mean, I just read that going. Was, God, I have to summarize this. <laughs> yeah, it was um, okay. First of all, I'm I'm not a fan of this issue, like even even a little bit. Okay, but it was a bizarre ending. And, it was very. Um, you know, as far as Fantastic Four issues go, sometimes you get um, Rama Tut and sometimes you get Kurgo from Planet X. And mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like this was more of a Kurgo story than a Rama Tut story, as far as its quality goes, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you feel free to disagree. Did you enjoy it? Mm, I mean, one, it was nice to read the Fantastic Four again. I like the banter stuff. I like the art because it's always glorious for some reason. Um I like the continuity with the whole Doom time travel thing. Yes, and I did look up. Okay, so whenever because we just as we're recording this, the Rama Tut episode just went out today. Um, they did go to Doom's castle in order to use that before, and uh-huh. they did not bring it back. Okay, um, but there so that- is a brief uh, dialogue bubble in this book on page three. He uh-huh. says. Dr. Doom's time machine will work still works perfectly even after we transferred it here to our lab for intensive uh, study. Okay, so it happened off camera. Yeah. But I think we commented on that in that episode that it's it's interesting that Reed just straight up borrows Doom's machine instead of making his own. Right. You know, like maybe hey, I guess if it's already exists, why not use it? Right, why make your own if if, if Doom's already discovered time travel, then you know, it's great. Yeah. But mostly it is kind of, yeah, it's mostly a silly issue. And I also feel like we're just getting a lot of Dr. Doom. I could be wrong about that, but like, come on. And every time we get a Dr. Doom, it's kind of the same idea. He captures them. He's got individual weapons for them. Mm-hmm. They over they overcome them. He dies. The end. Well, this time he uses henchmen, and they're not good henchmen. No, they're about as good as those stupid ghost robots. The ghost robots. Oh, my gosh. Um. I want to know why Reed Richards, you know, he, he, he leaves the room before yeah. the first page it was a really, really great opening splash page with the dinosaur running crazy and everything. It was great. Yeah. Um, Reed Richards comes back. He's like, dude, why didn't you watch it? I told you to do this and this and this. If something started coming through so that it wouldn't come through. And I'm thinking, why did we leave the time machine in a state <laughs> where a random dinosaur could come through? Yeah. That's true, because that's kind of not how his machine works anyway. It's not just like an open door like the Guardian of Forever or something, and you jump through it. Nice call like it's Yes, thank you. It seems like you have to press a button. I want to go to Blackbeard Year, Blackbeard Year, and then you stand there, you press it, it goes over, you know, it hovers over you, and you're there. So how could a dinosaur even, like, run through it? How did that happen? I don't know. Yeah. But then again, I think, what are they saying? Like he was running some sort of test or something? So maybe he was doing something stupid. Uh, like like some it, sort of open state. 
like seeing if he could uh, snatch something from the other side instead of just going. He could, you know, bring. I don't know. Then we get to this weird argument about how Reed shouldn't be the leader anymore because they let a dinosaur through. They let a dinosaur through and he got mad. And I guess if you're a leader, you're not ever supposed to be mad or speak to your crew sternly in any way whatsoever. It's kind of like whenever the teenagers get mad that their parents, you know, chastise them for doing something dumb because teenagers make dumb decisions. And so the teenagers decide that they're going to be the parents now. Or, yeah, like when they forget their jacket and then they're mad that you didn't bring them their jacket, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, totally. Do you like, do you, I don't know. Parents. Like, yeah. Does it feel like, I mean, I guess Reed has been the leader this whole time, but it's such a small group and they're all like kind of related. It's like, other than him being the smartest guy there. So he's going to come up with the plan that beats the bad guy. Is he a leader? Um, in my mind, he's always been the leader, but maybe that's influenced by the fact that in my mind, he's always been the leader. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe it has not really been as sharply defined as I felt like it was, but declaring that he is definitely the person in charge seems like a good move to make. He also says something like, I didn't throw all this money into this in order for you guys to clown around. And that that's a throwback to him being like coming from money and being a millionaire or something like that. So maybe he thinks it's his team because he bought it. Yeah. I mean, he sent them off on their mission. Um, yeah. He's, he's re he's Sue's. You know, ex-fiance now resume, uh, you know, resuming being a boyfriend. So because of, you know, the patriarchy and misogyny, he seems like the head of that relationship. They're both, they're all three older than Johnny. So he seems like in charge of Johnny for that reason. He changed Ben into the thing. So he seems accountable to Ben for that reason. So he's, he seems like the central focus of the group. If he's not the leader, he, sh- he kind of feels like he should be. If we get like a few more groups under our belt and we give it a couple of years, I think we should have an episode where we just decide who the greatest leader of all time is. Yeah, and we then should. at the end, and then at the end, it's Captain America. Anyway, <laughs> spoilers. <laughs> um, I like he puts like in quotation marks, but I like how on page six, whenever they're doing their vote mm-hmm. on the third panel, you know, thing is like nuts. This election's for the birds. I say I'm the strongest, so I should be top dog. And Johnny says, look, laughing boy, the only place you're strong is between the ears. And everybody completely fr- ignores the fact that Sue is also putting an input. <laughs> I think the like, leader should be a female. We're not yeah. talking to you, woman. I know. And then they start fighting. Right. Which, of course, totally proves that they're ready for leadership. They're definitely mature enough to lead a team. Yeah. It is interesting that Sue went along with this, though. A little bit weird. A little bit out of character for Sue. She tends to be above the shenanigans. Yeah, although she's not wrong in that maybe she would make a good leader. Mm-hmm. So maybe she's legit thinking this could be a good change for the team, and the, and the other two are just dummies. But Once we get past the phase of this book where she is barefoot and pregnant and then taking care of the kid, and she's mm-hmm. able to be like an active team member again, I, I think her being a leader is definitely something we should we should see. But I don't know how long it takes. When I stopped reading this, in my last read-through of this book, I stopped reading it whenever she was still not part of the team because she was always taking care of the baby. So she does become the leader at some point, doesn't she? Reed's not always on this team. Um, I would assume I so. And I'm even if sure. Reed is on the team, I think she should have her chance to be like like the Avengers. They do rotating leadership. I think yeah. I think any of the four of them who feels like taking over for a while should be allowed to do so. I mean, Johnny and Ben eventually do get older. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's probably like the '90s before we get to that. But uh, um. Whenever Reed is yelling at them for their shenanigans, he's almost a human being to Sue. He's like, uh-huh. 
Hear this, all of you. If you think I like being the leader of a group of 10 metal, blah, blah, blah. Now, Sue, honey, I don't mean you. I know you were mad at me. <laughs> and I'm sorry. It's just, you know, I'm going through a lot of, you know. So it's, it's he's almost yeah. a normal guy. Yeah. He, or he actually at least had the, uh, the forethought to, to put in that disclaimer. Right. Because usually he doesn't really think about anything but what he's thinking about. Um, and it, it, yeah, yeah, the whole like Doctor Doom finding three people and augmenting them—it's like I don't know. Yeah, we've done That's this kind before. Of boring. Yeah, I forget who it was, but somebody we've seen before has found henchmen and augmented them for a job. We've seen that plot. Before. Loki. It was Loki. Yeah, and where does this end? Because he can just do this with anybody, I guess. Like, I guess. Like if some if he finds an awesome ventriloquist and he puts him in this cosmic tank, then he becomes a a mutant ventriloquist. I guess. And, I don't know. And that's where the guy on, uh, that's where Scarface came from on Batman. Hey, that's true. His origins are in Dr. Doom. Um, D- Reed Richards does say here, as far as we know, Dr. Doom is still at large and will never, he'll never rest until he's destroyed. Continuity notes, since that's you know, kind of part of our job here. We last saw Dr. Doom in Amazing Spider-Man 5, which was, I think, a, uh-huh. a lackluster issue. And the last time they've seen Dr. Doom was the ghost robot issue that ended with him falling out of a ship into the clouds. But they were in that Spider-Man issue. They just never actually encountered him, right? Right. So I actually really like the the writing here. He's like, as far as we know, Dr. Doom's still out there. Like, we haven't actually seen him, but we've heard he's there. As far as we know, he's still there. So that happened in Spider-Man. Like, Dr. Doom escaped the scene before they got there or something? Literally, he heard them coming. He's like... Crap, I'm not ready for uh, them yet. I'm going to fly away. Bye, Spider-Man. Right, right. Yeah, okay. And then they just kind of got there and saw the aftermath and were like, well, guess let's go home. Yeah, and they saw Spider-Flash. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's cool. I, I Speaking of continuity, not to skip right to the um, end, but I like I like how the caption is just straight up like, yeah, you'll see Doctor Doom again. We're not even going to pretend anymore. <laughs> let's see. There's not a whole lot I have left. I had a note about them invalidating Sue. Where is that? Probably every single page, but let's see. Um, one page 14 panel six. So Reed and Sue, um, Reed wrapped around her as, as a chain and, um, they're having an argument. He says, just like a woman, everything I do is for your own good, but you're too scatterbrained and emotional to realize it. She tells him off. She says, go polish a test tube or something. But the next panel, she's like, ah, that man, I know he's right. That's why I'm angry. And I'm just like, no. well is she saying he's right that she's scatterbrained or he's right that she should train for the you know uncertainty or you know of being surprise attacked from time to time i think his surprise attacking her was a bit uncool like that's a weird thing to do and she's like he's never done it to torture thing as far as we know right and the the excuse is that her powers are new also maybe and then if and if he's if he's right and she's just too scatterbrained to realize it, what she's admitting to on the next panel is that she's too scatterbrained or too emotional or too something. When no, she has a legit cause for being upset, and yeah. it's just being written badly. So yeah, know, yay feminism! They're invalidating her. I know it's like this book was made in the '60s or something. It's really <laughs> it's really awful. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh and this guy was the worst power too, Mister. I can hear everything. Like, pfft, was that even necessary? You had a gas gun. You probably could have knocked her out anyway. Right. The three henchmen. Uh, I just. Uh, the, the, yeah. the great thing is they come back. What's funny is they're so inconsequential that even Doom's just like, pfft, "Yep, you're done with this story. They're yeah. out." 
And then he Dragon okay. Ball Z's them, sends them to the next dimension. <laughs> right. I was just like, really? That's it? They're not coming back? All this buildup about them and like, that's it? We don't know anything about them again? They don't have a team name or anything? They're the terrible trio. They're going to be in a Strange Tales issue as the oh. terrible trio. Okay. So until they come back as a terrible trio. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not the end of the show. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's, I mean, everything else is just a fight, really. Yeah. Um, and then that bonkers ending, which we already complained about. Um, but you remember, like, the last time they fought Doctor Doom, Sue took him out by herself. And now she has more powers. And they still can't beat him up. No. No, they can't. And which, mm-hmm. which is weird, because he's just a dude in armor with finger guns. So why is he such a hard thing for them to get a hold of? It's kind of comical. The end. He has a flying belt now. And did he get it from the Legion? I don't know, but that's like that's his big move on them. Is like we. He's just flying around. If you can't get had me. Some, if only they had somebody who could fly after him. I know. He's like my flying belt is so amazing. We and they're like ah, he's too powerful. <laughs> Things like this is naughty. How can one guy put up such a fight? And I'm like, yeah. How can one guy put up such a fight? What are y'all doing? I know. Why don't you just rip the floor up and throw it at him or something? Anyway. Not my favorite Fantastic Four. No, or my favorite Doctor Doom. Although, don't press me on what that is because I'm not sure if I have an answer. But <laughs> So, shall we move on then to the next one? Let's move on to a better comic. Amazing Spider-Man 9. Yes, definitely a better comic. Okay. So, this is the most original superhero of all time. And in this great issue, you will meet Electro. And a scene you'll never forget. See the defeat of Spider-Man. That hasn't happened since issue three. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So um, this story uh, begins with a pretty fantastic opener. Uh, Spider-Man is dashing uh, from rooftop to rooftop, building to building, swinging through town. Uh, There's a shootout with uh, bad guys and cops. And Spider-Man swings in. The bad guys give up because they don't want to touch with Spider-Man. Spider-Man just keeps on swinging. Um, He rushes home, changes to close right there on the sidewalk as he's running because it's dark enough no one should be able to see him and he gets home and aunt may is sick in bed and peter parker has brought her medicine and she takes the medicine and she goes to sleep and peter just sits there sad beside her bed watching her sleep um switch to a new guy putting on his costume uh he can zap stuff with electrical bolts. His name is Electro, Boogie Woogie Woogie. And um let's see. See me. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I've only seen that movie once. I need to see the movie again. Yeah. Okay. So we get a brief thing with Electro. He goes and robs some an armored car. We go back to Peter Parker. He talks to the doctor who says she's Amy's uh, gonna need more medicine. And Peter's like, great, how are we gonna afford that? Goes to school. He's all distracted and quiet. Flash Thompson tries to talk to him because he remembers how Peter knocked him out last issue. And, uh, but Peter doesn't say anything. And so Flash is like, Psh, like, like, I, like I needed him. I, w- I wasn't going to try to be friends with him. Stupid Parker. Peter goes back to the uh, hospital the, uh, where his Aunt May is staying. And Betty Brant is there. She was wanted to come see uh, Peter's aunt. They talk and hang out, and Peter's got to go. He turns into Spider-Man, swings all over town, tries to find some bad guys, but it starts raining. So Peter has no money, no way of getting money, can't focus on his studies because Zant is sick. He's in a really, really tight place. And that's when Electro attacks the bank, where J. Jonah Jameson is bossing people around. So um, 
Uh, Electro takes a bag of money. You can tell it's a bag of money because it has a dollar sign on it. And he climbs up a building. He uses static electricity, basically static cling in your clothes. He uses that to stick to a building and climb up. And J. Jonah Jonah James is like, oh my gosh, he's climbing up a building. Why, that reminds me of... And he turns around and sees Spider-Man swinging away from the scene. (gasps) What if Electro is Spider-Man? And uh, so he goes to um, his... his newspaper publishes a newspaper says Electro is really Spider-Man. Everyone's like, there's no proof, but he can't print it unless it's actually true. Um, what else? What else? What else? Peter's like, okay, I've got to find Electro. Got to stop Electro. Got to get pictures of Electro. Got to make some money. Got to buy the medicine. Got to get my aunt better. He fights Electro. Electro shocks him, knocks him out. Peter, however, did get some pictures of Electro on the scene. He then takes other pictures of himself in the same scene and runs them by J. Jonah Jameson as proof that Spider-Man is Electro. So Jameson writes him a big old fat check and runs his pictures. Proof that Spider-Man's Electro. So Peter gets his money and is able to go and buy medicine for his Aunt May. Get an origin story of uh, Max Dillon Electro, who got hit by a lightning bolt while he's working on some power lines, and that gives him electric powers. Um, Peter goes back to the hospital. Uh, Betty Brant is there. They hang out. They smooch, make out right there in the hospital. No, not really. Electro runs a prison break. Um, Betty Brant and Peter argue over whether or not Peter should take uh, dangerous pictures, and Betty's like, oh no, you're so dangerous. You remind me of someone else I used to know who was dangerous. And Peter's like, who is that? But it says, you'll find out in two issues, and this won't make any sense at that time. <laughs> so um, then Sp- uh, Spider-Man shows up to where Electro is holed up, and Peter's and James is like, oh no, Spider-Man! I thought Electro was Spider-Man! I'm going to be a laughing stock, and it's all Peter Parker's fault. And Spider-Man's like, it's a good thing I've got some rubbers. I mean, rubber boots and rubber gloves, and I just call them rubbers because it's the 60s. So he puts on some rubber insulating material for his hands and feet so he can fight Electro. There's a prison break, so there are bad guys also in the way. Spider-Man fights all those guys, and there's Fighty McFightenstein. There's some pretty cool stuff, but it basically wraps up with um, Peter uh, Spider-Man putting up his camera, getting some really awesome pictures of the fight, and dousing Electro with a water hose taking off his mask hey if this were a movie i'd say oh my gosh it's the butler but oh my gosh it's the i don't know who this guy is <laughs> and so he goes to see jameson james is like parker you're fired and peter's like no you can't fire me i'm a freelance also here's some photos to make up for the other photos i sold you that were fake and james is like fake he's like hey, peter said no i didn't say that out loud you, you don't know that they're fake um and so Peter takes uh, no money for the photos to sort of morally make up for selling the uh, other photos to him. And Betty's like, huh, so you did go to the dangerous place and take the dangerous pictures when I told you not to. Peter's like, Betty, I like you. Um, I want to kiss you and, and, and touch your hand and stuff, but I also am trying to live my life. So are you going to let me? She's like, hmm, fine, whatever. And Peter leaves and Betty's like, I'm sorry. Is they wait for me? And she runs up and catches up to Peter, and they actually go and have a conversation about their disagreement, and they make friends, and everything's all great. The end. That is the first time that you summarized a Spider-Man story without going panel for panel. Good job. Really? Because <laughs> you have these so memorized. It's like you don't even need to look at them, huh? <laughs> 
Um, um, so I something came out of this story for me about morals. Yes. And I don't know where I stand or what I think exactly, but I mold it over a lot. And that is not just the obvious part they're talking about here where where Peter sells disingenuine pictures because he knows that's what Jim James Jameson wants. But I, I suddenly realized I've never thought about the fact that Spider-Man uses his crime fighting for profit. He does, which is against the Legion code, isn't it? I don't know about the Legion code, but not a lot of heroes do that. And they um, tend to frown upon stuff like um, Luke Cage and Hero for Hire and such. Yeah, they always focus on the irony of like J. Jonah Jameson hating Spider-Man yet buying pictures from Spider-Man and all us readers go, ho, 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 that's hilarious. But in this issue, he's actively looking for crime so that he could sell pictures to raise mm-hmm. money. And that was the first time I thought, wow, yeah, he does like have a split motivation here. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and it's weird because he will ahead. later say you can't be in this hero business if you want to profit off of it. But that's a really weird thing for Spider-Man to say. I ultimately came down to the idea that, you know, I think his primary motivation is probably not money. That just came. That ended up being a byproduct that he sort of fell into. You know, I don't know. Because it was issue two. The only reason he went after the vulture was to get some pictures of him. Uh, Yeah. What happened in issue one? Um, Chameleon called him on the phone and said, hey. Oh, and he, the saved, roof. he saved Jameson Jr. from a stupid... Yeah, he, he saved, saved... He saved John Glenn, essentially. Yeah, he saved um, John Glenn's life because John Glenn's thing was going wrong, which is sort of a, oh my gosh, this is happening, I need to take care of it. It was not... Yeah. It was very reactive, not proactive. Yeah, but that between that and you know his origin story, you kind of get the sense that that's what he's going to do now to try and make up for being a schmuck. Right. But yeah, he quickly falls into the, you know, I can also make money off this thing. True. Very true. And then he goes to write or, you know, publish his photography book and all that to make more money. Which he uh, got only because he's Spider-Man. And I started to think, well, what other characters do that maybe? And then I thought, how about Clark Kent? Spider-Man's kind of Clark Kenty, you know? But then I thought, yeah, but Clark Kent doesn't really need money, does he? No. That's more like just a disguise for him, this being a person thing. So yeah. why not write about Superman? But, like, he could go without food or water or, you know, heat or cold or air probably his whole life and not be – it wouldn't be an issue. So he's not desperate for money. And in the in the early, early stories, his motivation for going to the paper was to be closer to the news uh-huh. and to hear what's going on and be able to, to, to tackle problems. Yeah. I mean, the, the famous wife beater scene, he hears about it on the radio um, yeah. and then goes and attacks him. So it's more a tool for him that he can use to investigate things. Right. And Spider-Man is like just straight up taking pictures. So he's not learning anything. Mm-mm. Anyway. That's interesting. What, yeah. uh, what is your thought on Electro? So my first thought was, man, his costume's bonkers. And for some reason, I never really thought about that before. <laughs> it's pretty bonkers. And I think, I think Electro really liked Justice Society of America comics back in the day. Uh huh. And I'm pretty sure that he read All Star Comics issue 44. I would okay, like why? you to, while I'm talking, just go okay. and Google All Star Comics issue. I think it's 44. I'm trying to find the date where I wrote it down. Yeah, 44 from 1948. You in listener land, you're Googling this too. All Star Comics 44. From oh my gosh. Who Look is at that? that guy. On, that's Evil Star. Okay. Well, I think Evil Star actually even looks better. 
<laughs> but Electro's costume is bonkers, wonky bonkers, and I love it because it's like it it has such a great silhouette and a great design, and you know exactly who Electro is, even though he has lightning bolts coming off of his wrists. And even though that whole one piece onesie thing that he's got going on is probably got to be tight in all the wrong places, I still love his costume a lot. He's got lightning bolts coming out of the wrist. He's got lightning bolts going up and down his legs. He's got lightning bolts going a lightning bolt going across his chest, and his whole face mask is a five point lightning bolt. And you look at him and just so what? Your power is water? I don't know. <laughs> Subtle. Um, I've never noticed, like, I guess because he's just been around forever for me. So it's kind of iconic in a way. But, yeah, it's super silly. I don't I imagine he doesn't have this outfit anymore. I would just guess. Um, I I think there was a phase where, like, the lightning bolts became like marks on his face. Uh Uh-huh. Like the movie. Yeah. I think the movie did that from. But I don't know if that that might have been ultimate continuity because in ultimate continuity, he doesn't have a costume. He's just a bald guy. Okay. And well, that's a, not as fun. Yeah, as a kid, I could never tell what was up with his head. It wasn't until my adult years that I realized he has a black hood over the back of his head. Right, yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, with that black space there, it's just, you know, it's, it's easy to f- forget that his head even exists. He's just, a, he's just a floating yellow electric star. Yeah. But, you know, uh, looks aside, obviously Electro is one of Spidey's, you know, big villains. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't really go too much into motivation here, but of course, electricity powers seem pretty formidable. So that's a good fit for a guy with a spider sense who can move really fast and stuff. Um, what was I going to say? Um, you mean motivation for Electro? Like why? Uh, why is he a bad guy? What does he do? I know it, it talks about how he got his powers, but yeah, kind of just. Well, I think the how he got his powers kind of shows his character and how he really just likes cash. Uh-huh. Yeah. So whenever he has the opportunity to get more cash easily, he's going to go for that. Yeah, he was selfish and he likes cash and then he got in an accident trying to save a guy from a electricity pole or something. And then he uh, um, tried to go to Tibet and find the ancient one to heal himself and that didn't ever work. So he became a bad guy instead. He was one of the uh, he's one of the top Spidey villains who's not an animal theme. Mm, yes. Um, which, you know, Spidey is an animal theme, so it makes sense that his doppelgangers are all animal themes you know kind of like how batman's crazy and all his people are crazy and you know but electro stands out from that a little bit he's not a rhino or a scorpion or an octopus or or a venom a venom <laughs> <laughs> venom looks like a spider yeah with teeth he does he does so it makes him a little more unique um this book probably has my favorite opening of all of the first ditko 20 that i had as a kid mm-hmm. um I think it's suspenseful. I think it's it's neat because you don't know what's going on whenever he's behaving out of character. Um, and I know, I know, I know that Aunt May being sick becomes old hat. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't old hat here. No. This is but Peter's I'm- aunt, his mother figure, being deathly ill. And he, he can do nothing about it. And I think the drama on that is fantastic. I was reading it thinking in the back of my mind, though, like, oh, this is where the Aunt May hate begins. This is it. Amazing Spider-Man number nine. <laughs> right. But I don't hate, I don't hate at me. I think that's silliness. So um, yeah, this was really good drama. It, uh, it was neat to see him changing like straight up right in front of his house. And yeah, like, not caring. He's, he's so stressed out. He's like, and Mary Jane's probably watching out the window. Oh, there goes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Electro's lightning effects. It's one of those things that, like, as a kid, I would always imagine, like, a yellow cartoon bolt, like, in the comic. But, like, later at some point, I realized that's probably supposed to be lightning kind of effects, which you just can't do in four-color comics. Uh-huh. So, um, there's one of those things about the movie that I thought was realized to great effect was the, the, the look and feel of Electro's powers. Yeah, but at the same time, Ditko does a really cool job of, like, symbolizing that in his own cartoonish way. Yeah. Um, so what is wrong with Aunt May? They don't really say, huh? No, she has the very nonspecific disease. Mm-hmm. She needs surgery. She does need surgery. We don't know what kind of surgery. Is it heart surgery? Is it gallbladder surgery? We just don't know. No. Maybe her appendix is burst. I guess the point is it doesn't matter. Um, Betty and Peter have obviously been seeing each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I thought that too. We've only seen them have that one flirt at the end of the vulture story a couple issues ago yeah but it's obvious that something's been going on between them which is good that you know passage of time between issues and all that yeah how else would she know to even go visit aunt may in the hospital right 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 um but just this is this relationship and i've talked about this before okay so in this relationship we basically have their first disagreement their first fight they Uh fight over whether whether or not he should be taking photos but we get other scenes earlier in the comic to establish their closeness before that fight happens. Uh-huh. So the fight does not feel tropish. It feels natural. Um, and she seems to have a genuine concern for his safety and an emotional connection to the danger. And then at the end, at the end of the story, they don't just end on Silver Age mis- uh, lack of communication. They end on her being upset with him and not wanting to talk to him and then deciding to move past that, and they actually communicate, which yeah. I think is fantastic and completely out of character for this era of comics. Her being upset with him and him acknowledging that he was stupid for just walking away, too. Right. Um, yeah, I know they dated before, but I didn't realize it was so awesome. Yeah. I'm um, liking this more and more as we're going through it. I like, yeah, the Vulture issue were all great scenes there. I think that's why I voted it my number one comic for that month. Um, and these scenes don't disappoint either. They're all really good. I like Peter and Betty so far together, especially in comparison to like every other couple we have going on, which isn't even close to right. this. Right. Yeah. I think my second favorite couple is uh, Henry and Jan, but that's only occasionally written well. I think I just like the idea of it more than the actual writing of it. Yeah. And we just know that eventually they'll hook up. Even right. It's taking forever and they're being children about it. <laughs> well, she is a child. You know that Henry calls her a child, so she must be well, a, Sadly, underage. he's the one being the child. Yeah, but. yeah, he is. <laughs> um Jameson starts his he starts to become a cartoon character in this. Oh yeah. This is the beginning of I feel I feel like this is the beginning of the Flandersization of Jameson. Mm-hmm. Um where if a listener, if you're not familiar with that term like the Flanders character from Simpsons in the early cartoons was a pretty normal guy with a variety of character traits. One of which was his obnoxious neighborliness and religious, you know, fervor. Those were two character traits. And as time went along, those were the only things that he would do. He was always being the annoying neighbor or the super religious guy. And so Jameson, he, is eventually going to become a cartoon that is always pinning things on Spider-Man with zero proof and is always becoming a laughingstock as a result. 
and that the gets its start here, and it's kind of Peter's fault that it happens in the first place. Well, but he published it with no attempts to fact check. That's true. And that just brings me back to how legit is the Daily Bugle? Because some stories, it seems like they are the primo New York Times newspaper. And other times, like this issue, I think, how can they possibly be a respectable newspaper with what he gets away with? Right. Uh, it just seems like it's a trash a trash thing. And and both, like you said, there's kind of a two characters of J. Jonah Jameson. And this one, I could see being a guy who's like a trash newspaper mogul or sensationalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's the other guy from like, again, that event, that vulture issue we just talked about who puts himself in between the vulture and Peter Parker, that guy, who's probably also the same guy who was in Marvel's covering stuff during world war two or whatever. That guy is probably a legit journalist. Yeah. And I think that that guy is the one who eventually is going to shake out to be the real Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm. It's just, we're going to go through in, in my head, at least Jonah J Jonah Jameson's characterization goes through a horseshoe. It mm-hmm. starts out decent, goes into this pit of cartoonish buffoonery, and then comes back out as a pretty respectable person. Yeah. Not respectable person, maybe, but you know, respectable as a character. Yeah, not necessarily someone you want to hang out with, but... Right. But like maybe someone who at least has some um, sense of decency. Right. The only other thing I have on this issue, it's, it's, it's a really solid issue, and it's a lot, there's a lot of good character stuff in it, a lot of good drama, a lot of things that make Spider-Man Spider-Man are getting done in this in this issue. The only other thing that I have specific comments on is um, they actually make a vague reference to Betty's age in this issue. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, that's actually in response to letter columns. Okay. Co- complaining that... Um, Peter is dating an older woman. Yeah, that it's creepy that a you know twenty five year old career woman is interested in a sixteen year old boy. <laughs> you would think that, but I think it was more along the lines of Peter, what are you doing? You know. Oh. Like, yeah, like like not that not that it's creepy, but it's like you know Peter gets someone more suitable to you or something like that. I don't know. Oh, um, how weird. But she does say the reason I dropped out of high school, mm-hmm. which. So, uh, reinforces something said in the letters column that she actually dropped out of high school a year ago. She's actually of an age with Peter, but she's been out of high school for a year working. And um, in this issue, she says that the reason she's working has to do with this person she was that was always in danger. That ends up to not actually be resolved at all. We find out a lot later that she has a sick mother that she is taking care of. What? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't know who she was talking about. So in my brain, I'm thinking of all kinds of interesting scenarios. Sorry, I apologize. I really need to stop spoiling ahead. But yeah. Um, I was like, who is this like World War II veteran that she's dating? Or you know, <laughs> some, some ex-boyfriend who joined a gang and got shot? Or you know, something dramatic and it's like a sick mother. That, has, that doesn't even make sense. So yes, that's what's going on there. All right. But um, but yeah, that's all I have for this issue. I it's yeah. it's I did not expect to love it as much as I did. I remember liking it, but like this has so many good things in it that makes Spider Man cool. It does. It kind of it's kind of um, and we haven't seen it much yet, so we're not tired of it. But it has that same framework as that first Doctor Octopus issue in a way. Right. Oh, I have one more thing to say. Just one more little thing. Um, when he knocks out Spider Man, the first round. Uh huh. He thought he killed him. And then, like, it later says, like, little does he realize that Spider-Man is so strong that he doesn't die, right? 
or right. something like that. But he has a thought bubble where he's like, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Didn't mean to kill the guy. Yeah. So I liked, I just like that little bit because I, I like it anytime, like, you don't have to have 100% villainy in a villain. Yeah. Like, like the dude's not out to kill people, apparently. That's not his goal. He's not he out wants- to kill people. At the same time, he's not too bothered. He's not too bothered, but he didn't intend to. So he wasn't, like, fighting Spider-Man at that moment in full force, hoping to just, like, blow his head off with electricity. Unlike the vulture who has a gun tucked under his wing and he'll pull a gun on you. Yeah, or let you fall to your death or whatever. Right, right. But yeah, I think it's a good issue. I think probably you enjoyed it a lot because if you look at some of the other issues this month, it's probably going to be a contender. I yeah, imagine. yeah, it's definitely a contender. Yeah. Which takes us to um, an issue that should be a contender, but I don't think it's going to be. Do you ever watch that? Have you ever watched that like old 60s Marvel where it's basically just straight up panels? From comics cut out and like they bounce them around and stuff. Oh yeah, I've seen the entire Captain America series on that. Yeah, I love. I always like that Tony, that Iron Man intro with a little snapping. Iron so, Man, he's a villain. Tony Stark, yes. he's the man. So from now on, we just have to do this a little bit when we're about to talk about Iron Man. <laughs> dun, dun. Okay, Iron Man fights for his life in the castle of a madman and not Doctor Doom. No. Um, it's called, though, it's called, it's called, it's called The Hands of the Mandarin by Stan Lee with art by Donnie Heck. Yay. And letterer is Ray Holloway. I need to start remembering to do the the um, the credits because I keep forgetting I to do it. Yeah, I know, but I can't decide if anybody cares. I might just well, do it anyway. When they start getting creative with their credits, I think we should always read them because it's always amusing. Yeah. And for a while there, it was always just like Stan and Jack. Okay. Uh, so it starts out very like kind of Dr. Doomy like, but we're in China instead of, you know, the unnamed Latveria. And but there's a guy and he's in a big castle and everybody is afraid of him and they avoid him. And this is the Mandarin. He's a dude in like a, you know, green cloak with a purple mask and he's got a ring on each finger. And he's, you know, legendary for being scary um, and being immortal and probably being a lot of things that maybe he even isn't. But we didn't really get into what he actually is. Anyway, it starts out with like his servant telling him that there's a bunch of generals at the door wanting to talk to him. He tells them, you know, I'm going to just kill them. Oh, wait, I guess I'll let them speak. They're like quaking in their boots to even talk to him. But they come in and they ask if he'll help with the Cold War, essentially. And he's like, I'm the Mandarin. I don't care about your government. I am going to Ra's al Ghul this and take over the world. And so they run away with their knees knocking, thankful that, you know, he even let them live. Anyway, we cut to the U.S. where apparently... At the exact same time, coincidentally, the United States Army has heard of the Mandarin and his possible plans to take over the world, which we don't really know what they are, but they think he's going to take over the world. The Mandarin says he's going to take over the world. So let's assume he's going to take over the world somehow. And they talk to Iron Man, because I guess he's the go-to guy for communism now. Yay, Iron Man. Um, And they ask him, hey, can we fly you over to China and you just, you know, take care of this guy? He's like, sure, I'm Iron Man. I'm invincible. So he goes home to charge up. Um, there's apparently going to be an employee dinner at Stark Industries. Do they call it Stark Industries yet? At his, no. you know, okay, at Stark Manufacturing Plant, generic Stark Manufacturing Plant. <laughs> um, but he has to cancel because he has to go to China and beat up the Mandarin. So uh, 
Uh, Pepper is annoyed because she got all dolled up and she expected him to take her for some reason, even though he's never had any interest in her. And this one employee gets really upset, like, oh, see, you don't care about the little people. And that pisses off Happy, who decks him, which in turn pisses off Tony Stark. And he says, don't deal with employees like that. And then they both get chastised by Pepper because nobody noticed that she looks pretty. Um, He gets a ride. Because he's not Iron Man, Iron Man yet. I guess he gets a ride by plane to China. He fly or you know falls down to trick everybody into thinking he just fell to his death. But really, he's Iron Man and he can fly. And he goes to the Mandarin's castle. He easily takes out some of his guards, makes his way inside, um, gets past the first trap, which was pretty sad. It was just like this, uh, you know, room, and it had a vent, so he just flew through the vent. That wasn't that hard. Uh, Doctor Doom is laughing, and then. Uh, he fights the Mandarin, and the Mandarin shoots him with a paralysis ray, and it just bounces off him, Superman style. And then the Mandarin tries to, uh, oh, then Tony like tries to attack him or tackle him, but the Mandarin suddenly disappears and reappears somewhere else, presumably with, excuse me, another one of his rings. He tries to like audio attack Iron Man with like sonic things, but Iron Man has sonic anti things. So yeah, it's like they're playing loud noises at each other. <laughs> they're playing. My boombox is bigger than your boombox. Um, and anyway, while oh, and then finally he uses another. Okay, I don't know if this is supposed to be the same thing, but the first ring was a paralysis ray, and it didn't work. And the second ring is a paralyzer ray, and it did work. So I don't all know. Right. I I forgot to look up what all his ten rings actually do at some point, but. In this issue, he has a paralysis ray and a paralyzer ray. One works. Paralyzes Iron Man. We cut back to Pepper, who's like, gosh, now I don't even have a date because I was expecting Tony to take me, you know, oddly. So I guess I'll call Happy because he's a sure thing. Happy's like, it's about time I knew you would cave eventually. Who can resist my uh, cauliflower ear? And then uh, cut back to Iron Man waking up from the paralyzer ray. He's in a room with the Mandarin. The Mandarin, like... Uh, turns like a force field onto the wall so Iron Man can't get out and he's like, now let's fight. Oh, and by the way, I'm not just a guy with rings. Judo chop! And he like like chops a uh, a piece of iron in half. And Iron Man's like, ooh, my name's Iron Man and he just chopped iron in half. This might not be good for me. So they start to get in a fist fight and the Mandarin's doing pretty good. He's like actually, you know, hurting him and stuff. And then it turns out Tony thinks this is weird because he's not just Iron Man. He's, you know, Resistor Man. This doesn't make any sense. He's bulletproof. He's super strong. Why is this guy able to do this? Oh, while I was asleep, it looks like the Mandarin uh, played with my transistors. <laughs> that sounded naughty. Um, so they're uh, they're all been lowered and stuff. So I'm like, I'm slow going and I have no power. So then the Mandarin comes at him and we have this awesome like Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes moment where like everything slows down and Iron Man does these quick calculations on his glove computer calculator and uh, determines that if the Mandarin does his judo chop at this exact angle, carry the six times it by pi. And then he puts his arm up at exact opposite angle and it breaks the iron or the Mandarin's arm. Uh, so the Mandarin was not able to judo chop through Iron Man's iron. Um, Mandarin falls down. Iron Man decides that he's running low on juice, so I better get out of here. He flies back to the rendezvous jet, makes it home just in time as everybody is hitting on Pepper and 
Happy's kind of sadly in the back going, am I supposed to be jealous? I'm not sure what's going on here. And then, uh, you know, Tony comes back and I can't remember, like doesn't really do anything. And they're all sad. What happens? Like she's upset that he doesn't care. And I, and- I think he, he gets back to see them. And um, Happy's upset that Tony's there because Pepper likes Tony oh, more. Right, right. Um, but the, what, ha, the way Happy phrases it, you know, come and hang out with me and Pepper. And she's like, he's talking like we're a twosome. If he acts that way, Tony's never going to give me a tumble. Oh, and yeah. Tony doesn't actually give either of them very much attention. He says hi. Yeah, because to him, they're like, more employees than friends, I feel like. But yeah, although he did, I mean, earlier in the issue, he did he did mentally acknowledge, "Wow, she's actually really attractive." Yeah, um, but that's because he's Tony. Yeah, and they've dolled up Pepper Potts in this issue mm-hmm. again, responding to letter columns. The letter writers did not like that Pepper Potts wasn't classically attractive. She huh. had freckles. Her face was a little pinched. Her hair was just kind of there, and evidently. If you're going to be a female protagonist, you've got to be attractive. If anyone in your comics is going to like you, you need to deserve it first. Wow. So they prettied her up. People in the 60s were horrible. <laughs> like, like it's not Betty Brant being creepy. It's Peter being wrong for dating someone old. Right. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Wow. Um, so Freckles she- are gross in 1963. That was a t-shirt. She says she put make she's put makeup on to cover her freckles, but it's kind of like whenever Black Widow dyes her hair red and the dye is permanent and never needs to be renewed. <laughs> so Pepper Potts's freckles are covered up and will never be seen again. That's sad. I hope there's like modern creators listening to us right now going, I have an idea. Actually, I think that like um who was writing Iron Man during the time of um like the second movie? There was that Invincible Iron Man series that ran mm-hmm. through uh it ran through Secret Invasion and all the other wow. stuff happening and yeah. Tony Stark and it, during that time Pepper Potts like gets her own uh, iron suit and becomes rescue for a while. I think that artist was putting freckles back on her. Cool. And it's just a little touch, but it's like one of those things like, yeah, let her let her be a person. Anyway, Gwyn- Gwyneth Paltrow doesn't have freckles, does she? I think she does. I think she is like a walking ginger. Okay. I could be wrong. She may cover them up sometimes, but I think I've definitely seen her with freckles. Hmm. Um, this is my right. first Mandarin story. First Mandarin story. Um, no, my first Mandarin story. Oh, your first Mandarin story. Yeah, I can't think of any other. I mean, I know who he is. I know he's his number one villain. Right. Essentially. I always thought that was a little blah because I'm not super into magic characters anyway. And I get it like sci-fi versus science versus magic. But I liked... Iron Man fighting other iron things, I guess, as mm-hmm. my favorite my favorite villainy. But yeah, I mean, he's okay. He kind of reminded me of Doctor Doom Light or something. He is kind of Doctor Doom Light. He does have the 10 power rings, which are kind of his unique thing. Um, okay, I know that this is like the note that I keep hitting on this show. Uh-huh. And I know we're in the 1960s, which is not a great time for fiction depicting various peoples. But, oh my God, you're fighting a villain whose name is the Chinese man. <laughs> that's what the Mandarin is. Yeah. That's what Mandarin yeah. means. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're fighting the Chinese man, and, you know, he's got all the stuff that cartoonists will do as, 
you know, stereotypical shortcuts to depict Asian features. You know, the slanted, puffy eyes. He's got the Fu Manchu with the long, tenderly mustaches. Mm-hmm. He's got, like, some pretty notable upper teeth. Um, it's it's weird that mm-hmm. this is the character that would stick so well to Iron Man. Like, 50 years later, he's still fighting the Chinese guy, whose name yeah. is the Chinese guy. <laughs> and speaking of Iron Man 2, to, like, uproariously offend every Iron Man fan by not right. making him this guy. Right. Yeah. It, um, it, it, was, it was three, but yeah, they, they took... Oh, three. Yeah, you're right, yeah. They, they tossed away the opportunity to do a really bad caricature. <laughs> Which, you know... Well, they could have job. done a good caricature, too, I guess. But, uh... Um, yeah, think, even, even the generals are really stereotyped in this. Yeah. One. The generals, I mean, the generals look even worse as far as the, as far as the stereotype cartoons go, the generals look worse than the Mandarin does. The only thing I'll say that maybe they're giving him good props for is that he's not just a puppet of the red, the reds, you know? I did like, like that. I thought that was cool. He is his own guy doing his own thing. He has his own power and his own, um, basically sovereignty. Yeah. Uh, they kind of give him free reign. He doesn't really answer to. And I don't know the Mandarin's origin story, but it's hinted at here that he's been doing this for centuries. That's I what didn't it look said. Up. I didn't either. Although I am looking up his powers right now. And it's weird because like they don't have Paralyzer listed at all. So this first issue just or, had or stuff. Really loud speaker. <laughs> they have <laughs> Ice Blast. They have Psionic energy they have electro blast they have flame blast they have white light which is electromagnetic spectrum stuff they have black light which can create absolute darkness they have disintegrator beam they have vortex beam which causes air to move around in a vortex they have an impact beam which i guess is like cyclops or something and then he has a matter rearranger so maybe that's how he teleported when he got tackled I was wondering if the rings eventually became standardized or of course. If making them up every single story. But I guess no, they're making no. them up for the first stories. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's see. The The other thing about him is that he, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, he does have super strength. So going up okay. against the guy in armor, uh, at first I was like, dude, you are a dude with rings on your fingers and you're fighting a guy encased in armor. You are going to break your hands. But at some point, Iron Man says, oh, this guy has super strength. So, um, Well, I mean, he did chop that iron in half. Yeah. But at the same time, Iron Man is not, you know, bulletproof and tough because his iron suit is iron, you know? Like, he's got the whole force field thing going and stuff, too. So, Yeah, I just... It's, um, it's a, little, a little too literal there, I guess. If, if I'm wearing iron around my chest and you punch me, like the force of your impact might not be backwards, but the hardness of my iron against your bones is going to be bad for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Um, a small note on your recap. Iron Man wasn't actually sent to attack the Mandarin. He was just supposed to recon. He was just supposed okay. to gather information about the Mandarin and come back. But he gets over there and the Mandarin like traps him. So and Iron Man's well, like, oh, this guy is dangerous. He's got to be taken down. I guess that makes it a better story then because I, I didn't even notice that when I was reading it. And later I thought, Boy, he didn't really accomplish anything. No, he if, didn't. If the, if the point of him was to go there to attack, all he did was not die and come home. But if it was just a recon, okay, there you go. I guess he did accomplish something. Um, I, I did really like the uh, personal scenes on page four. 
you know, you got the employee who's like really excited to have dinner with the boss, and whenever the boss can't make it, mm-hmm. his disgruntlement with his job comes out instead. Like that's uh, that felt very real. Um, putting on a happy face to try to make the boss happy, but the boss isn't having it. So you're like, well, f- you know, f-, f you then. I don't like you anyway. Yeah. Um, and happy punches the guy out, which is very in place for happy. But what isn't in place for happy is this just like mopey expression he's walking around with now. Do you remember what do you why happy of, I like that Tony? Um, I like that Tony uh, didn't like that happy punched him. Yeah. That yeah, was Tony, like, cool. Yells at him. Yeah, that was nice. So happy is irritable. He's irascible. He's a grumpy guy. Uh huh. He's not mopey, but his face now looks like mopey. And I yeah. feel like he's always going to be like, oh, Pepper won't love me. I'm Happy Hogan. It's ironic because I'm actually not happy. Well, that's- what, what's weird is he never thinks that she doesn't love him. She, He thinks like they're a couple. Yeah. He's a little in denial about it. <laughs> he's a little in denial or he's slow. But this entire – all these issues, he's always talking about how she'll inevitably be with him. And then when he she asks him to go out on a date, he's like, yep, that's it. We're together now. Yeah, he's a bit of a puppy dog like that. Yeah. And not a good way. But you're right. I, I kind of didn't realize that, that they're purposely like going around making him not happy. Oh, how hilarious. Um, she dolls herself up and she's mad that they don't notice. And Tony's like, wait, wait a second. That's you, Pepper? You're beautiful. And I do like, I do like the happy's like, well, I, I kind of liked you the other way. Uh-huh. Says everything about happy, right? Yeah, it makes me happy about happy. What was there was a bit where Tony Stark was funny. I can't remember where it was though. Oh yeah, look, <laughs> <Not> one time. <laughs> look, you weak apology for Genghis Khan. That made me laugh. But uh, that reminds me of our Iron Man movie coverage where Van Plexico was pointing out that pre Robert Downey Jr. Iron Tony Stark has no personality. Uh, he's not a wisecracker. He's not a wisecracker. He's like the reason to like him is Iron Man. Not 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 unlike say Spider Man where Peter Parker is also very likable. Right. Or, you know, a full character. Iron Man is just Iron Man, essentially. And so now I've been kind of conscious of that and going, is that really true? Are there going to be? And it kind of has been so far. Like his like relationships with Pepper and Happy are the only things that make him as a person. And his, his concern for his company. Mm-hmm. But all of that is really surface level plot related stuff. There's not a whole lot of personality going on there. No. It's kind of like, I kind of compare it to Hal Jordan. Uh-huh. Like, you read Green Lantern for Green Lantern. Hal Jordan is not really a person. Right. That was a big thing when, like, they killed him off and half the people were like, so? And the other half were like, he's indispensable. Yeah. It's like, no, not really. You can just give anybody the Green Lantern ring to be Green Lantern. <laughs> you mentioned Ky- it. Kyle Rayner's more interesting. Oh. I think Kyle Rayner is more interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, Exactly. Um, you mentioned your synopsis that he's not really Iron Man yet. He can't just fly to the Pacific Theater if he if he wants to. He just, I say Pacific Theater. That's a war term. Uh, he can't just fly to to Asian nations on his own power. He has to get transport, uh-huh. which you know compares to the Avengers one, which was a similar thing. He had to go to the opposite side of the country, so he used like two different fuel consumption technologies to get there. Uh, like he sort of coasted for a while with everything turned off. I forget oh, yeah. exactly what it was. And then we yeah. got to New Mexico. Then he's like, okay, now I can fly. Yeah. Like, like more actively. Yeah. Well, he's still at that stage where much like human. Well, we haven't heard that from Human Torch lately, but that's like the gimmick. You lose, you get weaker. Right. We, we're hearing it from a visible woman now. Like she gets tired after she makes a shield, you know? Yeah. So Iron Man's thing is like every issue he has to almost die from battery power drainage. 
And I kind of expected him to lose this fight just for that reason. Like they established going into the fight that he's weak and low on power. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of thing that you do. Like you give Peter Parker a cold right before he loses his big fight. Uh You know? So I thought that it was actually going to lose this fight and go into a cliffhanger. And I guess I'm confusing it with another story that happens later. Um, This one's not long enough for that. There's no two, there's not two fights. What'd you think of this whole like weird calculating thing? With his arm? Yeah. It was weird. It is because weird. Because punches happen really fast. <laughs> yeah. And not only that. So, like, he goes to calculate and the Mandarin stops and goes, what? What are you doing? You know? Dance off, baby. No. And then, like, <laughs> and then he goes to chop him again. Now, what's to say he's going to chop him in the exact same way? You know? Right. I don't know. It's just silly. And what, what, the heck, what the heck does a calculator do to help you figure out how to block a judo chop to break his arm? I guess okay, I didn't. so a more modern version of that would be like if you had the display up inside his helmet, like as he's fighting, there's like a real mm. time here, hit here. Here's your yeah. best target, hit here. Here's your best target, hit here. You can't beat him in hand-to-hand combat. Right. Remember that? Civil War? His, oh, yeah. su- his suit's like trying to calculate how Cap's going to punch him. And it's well, like, Civil- it's just like, get out of there. You can't even beat this guy that way. <laughs> And in Civil War, he had extremis, so everything was much more integrated with his nervous system and everything. Yeah. But here, he's got to actually pull out the calculator, protractor, and slide rule. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like there's this whole panel of Mandarin going, what? What, what, what are you doing? What are Hold you on. doing? Hold on. Where's my square root key? Um, <laughs> eh, anyway. He calls his chest beam an ultra beam for the first time. Oh, and it's cool. It's the first time we've seen it do everything, do anything inside. Like, we've seen a flash of light before. When did he shoot the chest beam? I don't remember that. He's, he's done at least once before. I remember, I remember no, I mean, in this it. issue. I forget what he does with it in this issue, but he does he does use it. Okay. Um, yeah, it's cool. Like like you said, it's funny that he be like, you just never know, I guess, which character is going to last. Because the thing is, every character they introduce right now is the greatest character of all time, according to them. Mm-hmm. So you see a Doctor, a Doctor Doom issue and you go... Heck yeah, it is. Or Dr. Octopus, heck yeah, it is. But then there's also the Human Torch issue where the return of the greatest character of all time, the eel, you know? It's like, nope, they got that wrong. Right. So so they're calling 100% that all their characters are amazing. And it's just kind of interesting which ones actually stick. I don't know why this guy particularly stands out yet. Maybe future stories will prove why. Right now, he seems kind of like someone we've seen already a little bit. Yeah, a little bit like Dr. Doom, like you said. But Dr. Doom is also really cool, so maybe that's actually in his favor. Could be. Or maybe, you know, Iron Man just doesn't have a lot of rogues gallery, uh, you know, options. I don't know. Iron Man has not had – I mean, Crimson Dynamo, at the time of Crimson Dynamo, that was his biggest villain to date, like, by far. Yeah. And still my fest- my favorite villain of his right now. That's right. all had. <laughs> Better than the Mandarin, but – so um, he does give Iron Man a good run for his money. Um, I think with the cool attributes, with the rings and the mysterious background, and then combine that with an appearance that might have seemed exotic to little Caucasian American boys, I guess, you know, all of that together helps explain why he caught on at first. And once somebody okay. catches on at first, you've reused him a few times, you're sort of feeding the fire and making him more popular. Well, I imagine with any popular character, there's probably a story arc or a run that just really makes the character excel so we'll get there maybe someday someone someone will have written an amazing mandarin story arc right and we'll say whoa man durin man durin um but this issue ain't over kids it is, it is not over there is more to watch for so much like uh you know the wasp 
telling stories to charity people. Marvel is recycling or, you know, trying to figure out where to use these anthology stories, but also make them Marvel Universe stories somehow. So instead of the Wasp, we have the Watcher telling sci-fi stories. Um, he did it last issue, and now he's doing it again in a story called Journey's End by Stan Lee with pencils by Larry Lieber, inker Saul Brodsky. That's an awesome name. And letterer Artie Simek. Um, and it's the Watcher. He's standing there. He says, I'm the Watcher. And therefore, you have to read this as part of your Marvel podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, but basically, everything else has nothing to do with Marvel. It's a uh, another future sci-fi story. In this world, everybody's kind of a space pilot and stuff. I guess that's an easy job to get. There's a super like future Peter Parker nerdy kid. Um, who's very shy and very nice. It opens up the story with like a pretty girl pretending to like him and then him getting teased about it. Um, and they're all like, oh, he's so lame. And everybody's like, yeah, he is. High five. And he walks away sad and wishes he didn't belong to this world. Meanwhile, there's some crazy radioactive cloud probe thingy coming that wants to talk to whales. No, no, just kidding. It's a Cosmo probe that's just far enough away that, uh, you know, they have to send somebody out there to figure out what it is and send a message back. But unfortunately, it's so far away that it's essentially a one-way trip. Because even though we're in the future, we haven't figured out fuel that well enough to just be unlimited. They still have a limit. So they ask someone to volunteer for this one-way ticket to save Earth. Possibly save Earth because they don't know what it is. And all the cool guys that were high-fiving at the beginning, they're like, no, no, I got a girlfriend, I got a wife, I got, I'm just a coward. And then uh, the dorky guy says, I'll do it. And everybody's like, he's such a dork, he's an idiot, why is he going to do that? Uh. So he goes to fly over to this cloud, and when he gets there, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Because it kind of evaporates and gets into the ship, and it transforms him into like Steve Rogers. Suddenly he's like square-jawed and beautiful. He's got brunette hair instead of blonde. But otherwise, he's like the perfect man. And then he sees that behind that cloud is a planet. And he goes to fly down there. And there's all these perfect people that look just like him. And they're all like, you know, peace on Earth and love everybody. And they're like, we sent that cloud because we wanted to see who on Earth would be brave enough to sacrifice themselves. And we want to hang out with that guy. And that guy's you. You're the best. And then it goes back to Earth wherever he's like, that guy was the worst. And so the Watcher's like, see, you don't know. And it's the end. Yeah. Yeah. little morality tale, but I actually have a kind of a problem with the morality in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? Well, they're, okay, so they're ugly shaming. And uh -huh. like, okay, so they say that, you know, we want the person who's courageous and brave and willing to self-sacrifice. Those are the kinds of values or the kind of traits that we value. But also, we're going to make you beautiful so that you don't stand out and be ugly anymore. Instead of just saying, and also, your physical appearance is totally attractive as it is, and you should be one with yourself. And really, really, we just attracted a guy who was suicidal, so. Right. Really that's anyway. a, that's, that is not an inaccurate way to read this. He is kind of like, you know what? Nobody cares me. I might as well go and do a suicidal mission. Uh-huh. So, it was a little bonkers. They just have these sci-fi stories with the twist ending, I guess. That's going to be their thing. Yeah. Um, there, there there, are some good ones because I remember reading through some when I was doing this, uh, doing the show with Lily and being like, oh, that's a pretty cool story. But we haven't had a whole lot for this. No, we haven't hit it yet. We've only done three, though. Or we four, have. Four now, I guess. Lily and I were reading all the backups when we did our show. So mm -hmm. I, I would, you know, 
every single comic we did, we would see what was going in the back. But anyways, um, that is the end of the month. That is our show. Well, it's not our show yet, because we got to talk about top and bottom picks. <gasps> Gosh, you're right. Right? I'm always so prepared for this. Okay. Um, you want to go over it, or do you want me to go over it? I got it. Let's see. I'll do it. Avengers 3 with, uh, you know, the Avengers fighting Hulk and Submariner teaming up. We got the second part of Thor versus Hyde. That made no sense. We got the Howling Commandos featuring the first appearance of Baron Strucker. We have Tales to Astonish featuring Giant Man and Wasp versus the Black Knight with the backup of the Wasp talking about some story. We have the X-Men with the first appearance of the Blob and failing to recruit him miserably. And then we have um, uh, tonight's stuff. Amazing Spider-Man versus Electro. Fantastic Four versus Doctor Doom and his cronies that he didn't care about. Uh, oh, we also had Strange Tales last time with Human Torch versus the Eel. And then tonight also Iron Man for the first time fighting his biggest enemy, the Mandarin. All right. So, yikes. Lots and lots and lots of firsts. A lot of firsts. Wow. First Baron Strucker, first Black Knight, first Blob, first Electro, first uh, Mandarin. And um, I did not write down our votes for October. So I have to go back and listen to those episodes and get the votes for October. I hope we didn't forget to do October. Oh, did we? No, we didn't, did we? Well, we'll, we'll I'll find out. If so, we'll, we'll do it the first time next time. Okay. Um, okay. So I am looking at this and I'm thinking that... Fighting for the low spot are Hyde, Fantastic Four. <gasps> wow. Uh-huh. And I don't think I hated the eel issue. I think I just didn't really. I can't even remember it. So I guess it made no lasting impression. Oh, he got um, out of prison and, and he tried to arrest him, but he wasn't doing anything. That that was the eel. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that was kind of dumb. Yeah. Maybe I did hate the eel issue. Okay, so <laughs> Thor, Torch, and Fantastic Four. Um, so I've got to figure out which one's the worst out of those. My, the, the, the middle of the road stories are, um, Dr. Strange. Oh, Dr. Strange. I didn't say that. Mand- yeah. 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 Dr. Strange. He was up against, um, Mordo. Baron Mordo. Shocker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the Iron Man Mandarin. Um, and really I, okay. Black Knight was awesome. Villain. Really my top stringers are Avengers Sergeant Fury, X-Men, and Spider-Man. That's what I've got to try to decide is the best out of those. Mm, I mostly agree with you, yeah. Okay, so so where are you falling before I make my final choices? I'm going to pick my worst first because that straight up is easy. Journey into Mystery number 100 really annoyed me with that cliffhanger they did not follow up on. Yes. Forget them. So he gets the low spot. Sorry, Thor. Um, and top spot, I'm going to have to go Spider-Man again. Ah. There's going to be so much Spider-Man picking. It's ridiculous. (laughs) But it was a good, solid, you know, Dr. Octopus structured story with, with, uh, uh, you know, pepperings of Betty Brant and, and, uh, Peter Parker romance comic. So can't go wrong. That was a good read. I feel a little bad because Avengers was pretty good. Sergeant Fury was probably the best issue of the lot so far. Um, and X-Men. You know they did they did some good stuff in there. I, I enjoyed the issue, but Spider Man's going to have to make some missteps uh, if if, if if it's if it's going to fall far below the top. And there have been a couple issues where Spider Man has made some missteps. I did not like 
the issue before this one with the living brain and the oh yeah the yeah. fight with 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 Flash at the end. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to also choose Amazing Spider-Man as my top. So that's easy. We're we're kind of riding high on the Spider-Man train. Um, and for my low, uh, I don't think I think I you dis- hate Fantastic Four. Yeah, I did not like. It had a dumb ending. Yeah. It was it was oh, yeah. bad to sue. The terrible trio were terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was just a lot of bad in that issue. So yeah, I'll go Fantastic Four. So the thing is, Thor like didn't follow up on that awesome cliffhanger, and they fought in the Titanic submarine, and it's bad art. Fantastic Four at least is good art and has good like you know home life stuff, even when the plot's bad. Mm-hmm. So. It's hard for Fantastic Four to be the worst for me, I guess. Yeah. Well, Kirby's always Kirby, right? Exactly. Especially on Fantastic Four. He's very Kirby. All right. Um, Side note, Doctor Who premiered this month. Mm -hmm. This is November 1963. So my son and I just just this morning watched An Unearthly Child, the first 20-minute episode of Doctor Who. I've seen that one a few times as I've tried to rewatch Doctor Who multiple times. I like it. I do but too. it feels a lot slower when you're sitting in the room with a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, it's not for uh, those who like, you know, like you know this generation where everything has to be every for only you know five seconds of entertainment before you move on. It's like a stage play. If you think of it as a stage play, it really works better for me. Yeah, and he does a lot better. His attention span has gotten a lot better than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's good that we're, we're not trying until now to watch these old shows, but he is definitely keyed into new doctor who we're watching the, um, Jodie Whittaker series. I saw the first that. two. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've seen, I guess there are three out now, three or four. I don't know if this is the proper, uh, venue for this, but since we talk about sexism here all the time, uh huh. do you think there's at all any like reverse sexism going on with the Jodie Whittaker thing. Like I've only seen two, but all of a sudden the doctor is very nice and very empathic and very polite and cares about everybody. And it's like, are they just doing that because she's a girl and therefore she has to be like that? Like, you know, before that there were all the doctors told people to shut up all the time, you know? She will when she needs to, and she has when she's needed to. Okay. Like um, I said, I've only seen the first two, and she was just very nice. Yeah, it's well, like, David Tennant is also more. very nice. He is, but he gets mad. Tennant and Smith were very, very pleasant people, unless you got on their bad side. Right. Yes, yes. Anyway, it was I just a thought. I, I, I hope, think we'll I hope, see it more. Yeah, I hope so. But I like um, them. Yeah, yeah, they're fun. The, 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 there, there are two more that you haven't seen yet that I that I have enjoyed. Okay, uh, I have my iPad here so I can give some thank yous to people okay. who have followed us on uh, um, Twitter. Mm-hmm. And the people are actually the person. So <laughs> since last week we recorded, we have gained one new follower, and that is Simon, spelled with a P-S-Y. And you'll like this. He's also a sports person. Ah. Red Wings, Tigers, Lions, Cowboys, and Michigan fan. So he's like, yeah, Detroit guy. But he's also the podcast host of At Cinefessions. Like the word cinema and the word confessions, Cinefessions. Specializing in horror, sci-fi, and cult media reviews. Thank you for liking us. You remember that time that the San Francisco Giants swept the Tigers in the World Series? Just throwing that out there. Anyway. (laughs) 
Thanks for liking us. Also, your team sucks. <laughs> okay. I, I, I just invite him on the show to, to be my, my partner on this. I, 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 I don't, you know, send all your hate mail to. Yeah. Uh, we have also gotten likes from Robert Hudock and Tim Trevet over on Facebook. So thank you very much for uh, liking the show on Facebook. Do please continue to retweet new episodes and share new episodes on Twitter and Facebook so that other people will see the show and hopefully like the show. And um, I, every week I post a link to this in um, the Marvel fans, 1961 to 1986 group on Facebook. Hmm. And almost every week there's somebody like, Oh, look at this show. That's great. So we get oh, new cool. follower, new new listeners over there, which is fun. I didn't know you were and, doing that. Great um, idea. Yeah. And I also post, I'm reading books for the show and everything to kind of, kind of get conversations going. Cause I like, I like geeking out with people about stuff. So mm-hmm. I was, Hey, I read this. What do you think? And as long as you don't tell me like the way the arc is going to end one or two issues away from where I'm currently reading, then, then we're good. Yeah. Like John does all the time. Yeah. So sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I need to stop doing that. <laughs> That's ah. I don't care about um, spoilers, honestly. Also, I have another show, uh, All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast that is talking about early image comics. Several episodes coming to you the first of every month, which you can find at johnreadscomics.com. And I guess we're after the first of the year now, so I should also mention that at johnreadscomics.com is my Super Silly Sentai show that I do with my son, Keenan, doing podcast commentaries on each episode of the first Super Sentai series, which is Japanese superheroes. So that's great. And I only do this show because I'm lazy and can barely handle it. Hey, but you do a great job. Thanks. Mike does all of our website stuff. He posts the episodes. He gets the pages together. He makes sure the trains run on time and not on, you know, ginger. Yeah, ginger. I'm still not ginger. Speaking of the website, here's a website you can ignore because I was thinking the other day, who the heck goes to a website for a podcast? Not this guy, not anybody I know, but it hosts all the files that you go to. So makeoursmarvel.com. But if you really want to listen to the show, a better idea would be to just go onto your phone and type in makeoursmarvel.com, and it'll probably show up, and then click the subscribe button. Yes. Um, and if that doesn't work, though, please email podcast at makeoursmarvel.com and tell me why it didn't work, maybe because we're not on whatever it is you're trying to look us up on. Um, and you could also use that email to to you know ask us questions or tell us answers or just comment on the show and we will read it someday on a future mailbag episode that is correct and until next time and until this this crazy guy in a suit of armor who's been hassling the fantastic four you know dr doom until the writers decide to like give him an entire country to rule over or something make ours marvel marvel